ha 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 laughing and then crying, 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 crying. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 313 with our review of the Congress. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, we are continuing our trend and hitting a few VOD releases. Um, in this episode, will be a review of the Congress, and uh, the next one in the feed will be a review of Ida. So... Um, yeah, how are you doing this morning? Um, uh, I'm doing <laughs> Steven. okay. <laughs> Steven, yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I'm doing good. Uh, a little tired. Had a good, a good time yesterday when I realized that I had to watch both of these movies still. <laughs> and I started around 7 p.m. Nice. Um, but it, it made for a good evening, you know. Toss back a couple drinks, <laughs> download one movie... Toss back a couple more, download another movie, feel bad about the history of World War II and the Jews, and <laughs> all in all, it was just like a really the positive way to spend a Saturday night. Yeah, I I uh, I was going to do the same thing you did. I started around four o'clock and I watched uh, the film reviewing right now, the Congress, and uh, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna wake up early and uh, watch the next one tomorrow because. <laughs> I'd rather spend the evening playing Destiny. Yeah, just to get PS4. a spring in your step in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I figured, you know, if I was going to watch a film that involved, like, the massacring of a giant people group, that I would just go online and massively uh, destroy a bunch of people online. So, <laughs> the, the best part of waking up is Polish cinema. That doesn't work. <laughs> Take it out. Take it out. <laughs> it's out. Just, just consider it gone. Gone. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll put this in the beginning. I'll remove it from now and put it in the beginning. Yeah. And then people will wonder the context, and it'll never arrive in this episode. Yeah, it, it'll be like all those uh, the trailers for every Chad Apatow movie, where there's <laughs> exactly. like at least five jokes that never make it into the actual movie. You know, I think I think the movie that had a joke that uh, I missed the most was um, the uh, Pauly Shore movie Jury Duty. Uh, I think right. He had a movie called Jury Duty, right? Probably. Yeah. Whatever the movie was called, he was a juror. And there's a scene in the trailer where he's driving in a Ford Bronco and he reaches down. He's like, what's this glove doing here? And then he throws it in the back. And it wasn't in the movie for some reason. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got, I got you. It took a second. It took a second. Uh, I was also looking up whether that was actually a movie or not. Okay. So you're, you're up, your uptick on the, on the joke it took, recognition yeah, the, was... the OJ joke took like an extra like 30 not 30 seconds I'm selling myself short it took like an extra two seconds than it should have <laughs> yeah you need to cut it down a little bit and then you can mm -hmm. fit it in more <laughs> <laughs> but wait a minute oh, now I need to know because this was a 1995 movie when was the trot in 1995 okay so it was very topical very mm -hmm. topical when it happened Maybe they like refilmed that scene. Oh yeah, they threw in they threw in in the trailer at the last minute, <laughs> but they didn't have time to actually make the movie again. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, you know what's not funny? What? Uh, when actresses <laughs> make bad choices. 
Yeah, no, that that's really not funny. <laughs> not at all. Um, so, <laughs> unless it's, I would say if like Cameron Diaz makes a bad choice or Scarlett Johansson makes a bad choice, it can result in a funny movie. <laughs> um, Wait, which which movie did Cameron Diaz make a bad choice in that resulted almost, in funny? Almost all of the ones she's done. If you if you look at it through like this big meta lens of how terrible she is in movies, then it starts to be pretty funny. That's what, that's what <laughs> I've discovered recently with the other woman and a few other, uh, few other films on video on demand. I I honestly like, she she came out of the gate in the mask and it was like okay this chick's gonna be something and then like nothing she did from there I could even stand her in. <laughs> <laughs> what about Shrek? Thumbs up, <laughs> thumbs down. Well, she's acting against Mike Myers, so yeah. I guess that, that lowers the bar a that, hum- more. that humanizes you a lot. <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, uh, I just I haven't been a huge fan of her movie-making decisions, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I think that maybe choices could have been. Yeah, but what about better. that Linklater movie, Diaz Dem Confused? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Okay, let's continue your segue to the Congress. I've got D- nothing. Diaz and Confused is what I am every time I watch Cameron Diaz in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, so the Congress. This is a film. It's been on VOD for a little bit right now. And uh, I think this this is like the definition of high concept of, of films. Um, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically our, our lead actress is playing herself in the film. And uh, as we said, you know, maybe she hasn't made the best decisions with her career in the movie. And uh, yeah, well, we'll we'll get into it. What do you say we just take a listen to the trailer for this movie and then come back and give everybody our review? You had it all, Robin. Movie queen at 24. And you slammed all the open doors, crushed all the dreams. Then Aaron's condition started going downhill. Eventually completely blind this proposal won't be on the table again robin wright for jeff green you were the future robin you were princess bride and now i'm i'm in this situation what situation are you in jeff the situation of offering you the last contract that you'll ever have we want to scan you all of you your body your face your emotions, your laughter, your tears. And we want to own this, this thing called Robin Wright. I have to take care of my son. Robin, things are changing quickly. We're entering a new age. Once we've scanned you, there's no going back. Welcome to the Futurist Congress. So you're here too, huh? You and I are the only ones who survived. Who are all the rest? Characters. They invented it. Are you Robin Wright? Yes. At least I used to be. There is no way I can imagine Aaron in this world. I crossed out from six months ago. To find Aaron, we have to go on a very long journey. What's on the other side? Truth. Can I go back to where I came from? There is no such thing as the place that you came from. 
Okay, so you just listened to the trailer for The Congress, which is available on VOD right now. Uh, we both got it from iTunes, and uh, it, I'm assuming got it from iTunes, right, Steven? No, I stole it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I got it on iTunes. <laughs> you drank it and then experienced the movie. Yes. yes. I, well, or, I felt or, or, what it was to be Robin Wright. Yes. <laughs> but anyways, so in this film, Robin Wright is, uh, you know, she has been a, a approached by uh, Miramount. No. Para Max. <laughs> Mir- I think it's Miramount is the name. <laughs> yeah, Miramount. Um, it's this company. Uh, you know, this is quote unquote fictional film company. And basically, what they're trying to do is uh, give Robin Wright the last contract of her life. Uh, they are going to uh, buy the character that is Robin Wright. Um, if she signs this contract, she will never be able to act in any capacity for the rest of her life. But the studio will be able to create movies forever using her likeness in the form of this digital asset that is this scanned copy of Robin Wright. And, uh, yeah, the film, you know, progresses from the, like, the film starts at a point in time where that is the great technology now, and, um, you know, the film may make a jump forward a couple years and uh, kind of take that uh, idea to maybe possibly one of its logical conclusions and um yeah it's a film just deals with the commoditization of the characters that are the actors in the films that we consume so steven all that being said what did you think of this film yeah so i'm a little torn on this film um so I, I should mention that in order to prepare a quote for this movie which turned out to not be necessary i um <laughs> I watched uh, Waltz with Bashir first, which was Ari Folman's last movie. Uh, and that movie is a documentary that he decided to animate, kind of for the sake of uh, visualizing what they're talking about and also to allow them a little bit of privacy <clears throat> uh, while, they would, while they would talk about very serious <laughs> issues they had in the Lebanese War. Yeah. Um, and that, like, that movie is brilliant i thought it just completely blew my mind like what he could do with animation and how he could uh make you feel things that a non-animated film just couldn't capture um so this one it was kind of unclear to me that the whole cartoon aspect was like anything more than just an excuse to get back at what he's good at yeah um it it wasn't clear that it really so it it kind of fit the storyline in that people are experiencing whatever they want to experience. Um, and that kind of new sensory world could be animated. But I, I thought the the whole conceit of it made it very difficult to follow, like, what was fact and what was fiction in the movie. Like, what was dreamscape and what was this actual world that she's experiencing and what is the real world and what is she just imagining? And, yeah, or even... I, it, what are the events she's actually going through yes. with relation to the like in scenes where characters are eating food mm-hmm. when you see when you eventually see the non-animated world mm-hmm. in the physical space of where they were just eating food it makes you wonder like what what was happening in that scene when they were imagining that they were yeah. eating food <laughs> and, and it was so so it's really hard to follow to the point where I don't think I'm the problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't think it's just that. Well, that's I everybody's didn't... problem, right? Is they don't think that they're the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just in life in general. 
But but anyway, I, I didn't mean to launch in with the uh, criticism. So I I should step back and say that I thought um the concept, like you said, this is like the definition of a high concept film, and I thought it was a very interesting, ambitious one. Um, like my girlfriend didn't know anything about it when I started watching. She was like cleaning her house and doing laundry. And she actually had to stop like 10 minutes into it because the premise was so interesting that she wanted to uh, wanted to see how it would play out. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this idea of scanning an actress, taking their identity and using that as the product instead of the real person. Yeah. Uh, which... So, so the, the, re- the real question then, which I don't, I don't mean to cut in front, is uh, did she finish watching the movie or did she go back to her <laughs> so house? So I would say about... A half hour from the end, she resigned herself to housework, but still would uh, <laughs> would still make appearances to see what was going on. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. and and the reason for that is that like it had some very cool visuals and a cool concept, but once it launches into the animated zone, which is what I expected to be like, where it really gets its footing, um, yeah. it kind of it goes so quickly into this blurring of fact and fiction that it's it's just kind of like a series of visuals like it's really hard to get a narrative out of there where you can actually latch on to a character yeah and what the character is doing it was like uh it it had much more of like waking life vibes where people just kind of come and go and then weird things happen and you don't really know what it symbolizes and even Um, in like waking life it's a bunch of like existential conversation that is taking place and this it's not it's theoretical narrative that's happening but you're trying mm -hmm. to catch up as you try to like interpret the visuals that you're watching and guess whether or not that's an event that's taking place or a hallucination of an event that's taking place or that's not (laughs) yeah and and i think a a part of what made it kind of falter to me so it it began with a concept which i thought was very cool which is a a person being synthetically captured and then their likeness being used in place of them and kind of how how does that impact cinema and it turns out that that concept is only the beginning point like the real direction they follow up with is more of a matrix style um what are you experiencing and what is real and does it matter thing and that concept was a a little harder to follow, <laughs> yeah. and b quite a bit less original. I thought even even if in implementation it looked novel, like that idea of people, everything just going on in people's brains. Um, I feel like that's been done way more than the initial premise that they set out to talk about. Um, and I don't know. I felt like so it it opens with live action for the first like. 25 minutes or something half hour maybe um and that like i thought that set up the premise very well but there was something a little like stilted about some of the acting um like i don't know there's there's this the president of the miramax miramount <laughs> i don't even remember what the real names are anymore. yeah Mir- miramount yeah the, the president, miramax and paramount <laughs> the, the president of miramount is trying to convince her to get scanned and he has this conversation where it's just like he's shouting like monologue after monologue at her in the I, I don't know there there was something very like off about the the way that the characters interacted in the live action places to me yeah. and a part of that is maybe that like so i buy robin wright as a washed up actress 
Um, I don't know if I buy her as the voice of a generation or as this, like, this commodity that used to be this incredible groundbreaking thing that they need to capture. Well, um, I, I think the thing is that, like, uh, you know, the way I kind of interpret it is that she does have a star quality that was untapped, but she, like, so she is... She is of the star caliber to be useful to the company, but mm-hmm. she is at a low enough point in her career that they can take advantage of her. Like, yeah. there, there's a scene later on, you know, like, you know, the, after the 20 year jump, where I'm assuming that's supposed to be Tom Cruise that she sits down next yeah, to in I the think, animated role. <laughs> I think um, so. <laughs> but I guess they couldn't truly use his likeness. So when they're like, who was that? And then the guy's like, you know, what's his name? And they couldn't actually say it. Um, mm-hmm. But. I, th- I I kind of viewed it as like that was who they could get at that point in time um, because of where Robin Wright's career was. So so they could resurrect her career for her once they had her as the asset, but mm-hmm. she was she had taken herself to a state in which she wasn't able to do that on her own. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I so I could see that. I I guess I mean that there are moments in this movie like during the scanning phase where she is supposed to exhibit her wider range of emotions uh, for them to capture. Yeah. And I really felt like, uh, I don't know, I I don't want to be personally too critical of her acting or something, but I really felt like there are so many people who would have nailed that scene in like, in a way where this just felt a little like melodramatic and like, Ha ha ha! Laughing and then crying, 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 crying. <laughs> well, okay. So let, let me. So did because it, it started off pretty awkward for me, but I thought it worked once. Um, what's his face? Uh, the the one dude that's in all the Tarantino movies. That yeah. Uh, um, once he started talking her through the process, did uh-huh. it work? Did it trans transition from being like totally it, weird to actually working for you? Because for it, me, it, it like it transitioned a bit though i did feel like the uh that was also very melodramatic kind of like the he's telling this narrative that's moving her to laughter and then tears and then emptiness i don't know it it, well, it worked okay i don't i don't mean to be too critical of that yeah, I, yeah. Just, <laughs> and I, I think the part of the story that made her laugh was pretty weak but like the sobering aspect of, like mm-hmm. the the moving from like laugh like once she transitioned from like sort of like recognition of something is not as good that's happening right now to like the feeling shitty, like I thought mm-hmm. that was really that transition worked well. Yeah, I I can buy that. <laughs> yeah, but I I shouldn't get too stuck in the details here. Uh, basically, during the live action parts, I was thinking this is a good premise that's just like a little awkwardly handled. But I know that his forte is in the animation realm. So like, yeah, I'm just going to hold out because when it gets animated, like shit's going to hit the fan. And it did hit the fan, but not it, it, it was it hit the fan in a way that made me like, very interested shot by shot in the film, but not in one that was actually carrying me through a story that I felt like I could hold on to or feel something vested in. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It was a it was a weird weird movie. Uh what did you think before I go further into criticizing things? <laughs> yeah, so I I think the uh the beginning of the film it, in in concept is brilliant. Like I really like 
even like I, I agree with you that some of that dialogue was a little bit stilted, but it was coming from characters who no longer viewed the person they were like monologuing to as human beings. Mm-hmm. And like they had they were pre talking to them as if they had already signed this contract and they were they were speaking to them as the asset that they're going to they, they, like they're speaking to them the way they would speak to a trained monkey that was going to be on the set of like some comedy where he was going to have to act against the guy from Friends, you know, mm-hmm. like it was <laughs> just hypothetically, yeah, just in case that hypothetical movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of like the most absurd situation that actually happened. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Anyways, not the movie, but like the referencing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> um. But anyways, uh, so I I really, really liked the beginning of that. Um, just the concept, what it means, the way they discuss the idea of star actors and actresses and, and who they are and, and how, you know, like the studio literally is investing all this money in, you know, convincing the, the per- person that they want to play a role. And like, I don't know, it, it was just... It was an interesting way to look at who really owns the property that is the star themselves. Like, you know, everybody, you know, we were joking just, or maybe I was joking with some other people. We were like joking about like who, you know, like this person showed up to this movie just for a paycheck or like who like said, like how could this person say okay to playing this role in this movie? But Mm -hmm. like this film is treating it as like, look, no, like we are like the the producers of this company are... Like, they own you the person now because you have, like, they brought you to what you are right now. The only reason you have any sort of worth to the world at all is because they gave you that worth. Like, there's this, I don't know, there, there's this this really damning look at both the corporate side of filmmaking and the side that is the actors and actresses that play these roles. Mm-hmm. And it was just, whether it was saying anything specific or just coming up with a lot of really interesting ideas like i was eating that up like i was really just enjoying like really like scenes of people just saying really shitty stuff to each other Mm -hmm. in just really interesting ways and um like that is when i saw the trailer for this movie i was like oh dude i have to see this movie eventually um, whether or not we end up doing a review of it on this podcast because it was just such an interesting idea to me um but kind of what i expected from the film is a more of a story about the loss of identity. So what what mm-hmm. I expected was, you know, Robin Wright scans herself and she ceases to be Robin Wright and then she goes, you know, like I I kind of expect, expected more of a um uh what dreams may come type of situation to where yeah. like um essentially Robin Wright after scanning herself finds herself in, you know, that film's equivalent of hell where she doesn't even know mm-hmm. that she is Robin Wright. Yeah, but she's she, Cuba Gooding Jr. now. Yeah, yeah, like so she's going around um, and 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 possibly looking for clues on how to find who she was and like I, mm-hmm. I expected more of I mean there is a conflict that persists through the film of uh, Robin Wright versus the uh, Miramount um, yeah. but it's not I expected more of her trying to spend the whole movie trying to find herself again like that's kind yeah. of the idea and, and I think I think it touches on that but amidst so many more like high concept art house things uh, yeah, it, yeah. like it, it does it doesn't latch onto it in the way that i also thought the movie would go that direction yeah and like even the times where it kind of delves into that episode you've lost the commodity of what herself is in robin wright so even if she got it back you don't know that like that would matter at that point like it, it's 
Like she's searching for more of her human life, not her character life. And I was expecting more of a loss of the character that is her and her trying to get that back. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, so as I'm progressing to this film, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying it. I'm liking it. Uh, and then like, you know, 30 minutes in, we get this jump forward 20 years. And from that moment forward, it's, it's like you can almost jettison the first half of the plot of the film because like i don't know it, it's a weird thing because mm-hmm. we progress so far into the future that and you could argue that it's the logical extension of you know the the uh Mir- miramount has created a technology in which the actor like we can turn anything we we want out no matter what and we can put all the big name actors in it and we can sell it and we can basically give the people watching the movies exactly what they want regardless of whether the actor or actress wants to participate in it or not. And mm-hmm. then eventually you can you can see how that would become not good enough. Like we need the next best, the next greatest thing. And the only thing, uh, the only way we can progress beyond um, forcing everybody or allowing anybody to see any movie they want with any actor they want would be to somehow allow the viewer not just the choice of who they want to view, but who they want to experience as. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you could argue that you need the beginning thing to justify the progression technologically to where we are once the film hits the animated zone. But for mm-hmm. me, that the whole animated zone, the story behind that was, like, zero interest to me. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's like, you know, we have, uh, you know, if, if, we're, if we're looking at the drug side and how people are on a drug and viewing the world while on it. I mean, you have like, you you already mentioned waking life, but you have scanner darkly, like the follow up to waking life where we already have a scenario in which like, you know, half the population is on this drug and half of it isn't and how they're viewing the world versus the people who are possibly normal or not like that. That film does it so much better in a more interesting way to where like, at the end there are ramifications for the people who are on this. And in this film, it, I mean, you get like a little bit of a Snowpiercer kind of vibe from yeah. their future, but at the same time, you don't. It it's it's the opposite of Snow Snowpiercer, where in Snowpiercer you have these people who are like in dire straits and like they are like trying to fight against that. And it would be like if in Snowpiercer all the people in the back of the train were the same as the people in the front of the train, where they were all on the Chrono stuff, yeah, and they were just <laughs> totally fine living in the back of the train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, it it it. it and, and, they, and I'll say that, that that premise has some interesting themes to be brought up of like, are, is their life good or is it not good? But I feel like that's a theme that's been done to death in sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, which made it much less original than what it kind of set out to do, which was a little smaller in scope, but more like specific, <laughs> like but, more of a particular new idea that they had. They also, they, they, the problem too is they're mixing so many themes that made it very confusing to me. So like, there's this term they throw around in the film called crossing over. Mm-hmm. So obviously you can just naturally assume that the crossing over means from like viewing the world as it is to being part of the animated community. But then people also talk about the crossing over in that like people who are nearing death will choose to leave the real world and just go to the animated world and wait their death. Like so... They'll just spend their last few weeks, months, years, whatever, in this animated world, and it's it's almost like in you know in uh, Inception when they go to that one like that one like underground facility where like the people spend all their time in dreams because 
why stay in the real world when you can live in these societies in the dream world and you know, they're asking questions like, is the real world any different than the dream world and like all this kind of stuff. This film, it doesn't really dive into that aspect of it. It's more just like, yeah, half like a bunch of people live over here in the animated world and then some people live in the real world. But then like you get you get a feeling that by the end of the film that like the only people left in the real world are doctors and Miramount. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, that wasn't clear to me like. It wasn't like there was this this divide between the population where some people stayed alive and normal and everybody else went into the slums. It was kind of like most people were in the animated world, maybe, and then only the vital necessary to keep human beings alive people stayed in the real world. And people who wanted to make more of whatever this chemical was that allowed the animated people to see things animatedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was unclear what exactly the dynamic was in that society <laughs> yeah. that, that had developed by the end, um, which made it all the more strange because there are there are scenes toward the end. I don't think it's a spoiler where you get to take the lens off again and see the world as it is. Yeah. And there are scenes there's there's like a particularly striking scene where the world kind of it doesn't fade so much as snaps from how she has viewed everyone to how they really are. Yeah. That is, sub- I, I could see why it was meant to be a moving moment in the film, but with already like so little was grounded in a reality that you could latch onto that I I'd really kind of, I don't know. It did. I, I could feel heartstrings trying to be tugged that were not being tugged for me well, in, in that moment. So it, at that moment, I didn't feel the heartstrings, but I kind of snapped up too because I was like, oh, okay, now, like, I literally in my head was like, okay, now we have a Scanner Darkly situation happening. And I, like, I started, I started to, ca- like, I had almost about checked out by that point in the film. Mm-hmm. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, so there's something more than just, like, it, first of all, it showed me that, like, the things that, this, it basically, it, explained all the events that happened were really happening in some form of capacity and it wasn't just complete hallucination um and i sort of like i didn't i didn't get interested i got interested in the idea that they might start giving me something to latch on to at that point so it kind of like it snapped me back to reality after i had been about to check out Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah no i can i can grant it that um what did you think about so John Hamm <laughs> shows up in this movie as a sort of like Cuba Gooding Jr. guide <laughs> slash <laughs> it's, love it's, interest? It's funny sla- because I, I was gonna bring him up in reference to Cuba Gooding Jr. too, yeah. but, keep, but keep going. Yeah, a slash love interest slash he. I I feel like they they bring in this character that's supposed to represent a bunch of different things. Yeah, um, like the. I don't. Th- I don't think it matters to spoil and say that he is a an animator who fell in love with the thing he was animating. Well, um, I, I think. I think too that that's significant because, like, so when when Robin Wright comes and first checks into the hotel, the like she's like, "Oh, Robin Wright for this person." He's like, "Oh, cool, you're the sixth one today." So, yeah. I think that, like, the fact that he studied her for so long and he's the one that that like made her who she is he could recognize that it was the real her yeah 
it's in theory that's like yeah i i also think that's kind of why he existed but yeah. <laughs> i don't the places they went with it i don't know so even there's this mechanic of what she's trying to do once she wakes up like she's looking kind of, not unlike robin williams actually yeah um she is looking for someone and the <laughs> it's the literally whole, the exact same yeah, thing yeah well <laughs> the difference is that john ham is not cuba gooding I, I wonder i wonder if we would have been thinking this if we hadn't just recently discussed what dreams may come <laughs> po- possibly because well, i didn't actually think of the comparison until you just brought it up but now wow it's pretty surprising <laughs> no I, I like i was i like legitimately in that scene because because like i wasn't thinking about it until the moment cuba gooding jr i mean sorry <laughs> The moment that John Hamm says, you know, take this Deus Ex pill, but don't look at my face. Like, I yeah. don't want you to see the real me. Like, yeah. as soon as he said that line, I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I know who he is. Um, and then he wasn't him. So, yeah. spoilers for the thing he no, wasn't. No, no, yeah. I actually had the same thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, the, the whole dynamic of this search, it, it was hard. It was hard for me to latch on to because... It wasn't clear how this correlated with reality at all. Like, what was she searching just in her brain for what she thought this person was? Or was she searching for her actual, like, was she actually searching for the person in this strange dynamic where pheromones are sent out and people are actually interacting, even if it's in their brain that they're flying from one place to another? Uh, well, yeah, so... In- <sighs> There's so much stuff in this film that, like, makes it, which is, I think, the film's problem. But, yeah. so, basically, uh, you know, you have the scene with uh, uh, Paul Giamatti, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, Paul Giamatti plays um, this character who she's searching for as Doctor. And there's a scene where he describes, it, it, that was the other confusing thing about the scene, is I couldn't tell if him as the Doctor was in with Miramount and trying to get her to sign the contract, or he if, if he was just suspiciously saying that the this character's illness mimicked the <laughs> like it, it was too yeah it was too contrived feeling so I hope yeah. they wanted him to be in on it <laughs> yeah so it, it, it's I unclear yeah I couldn't tell if it was like oh well you know you really got to sign this because like it ain't so bad because I mean think about what you're what I mean, this kid's going through <laughs> yeah um whatever it's, it's her son <laughs> yeah i'm pretty uh, sure that's maybe even in the trailer but i don't remember yeah yeah i think it is actually certainly um, the fact that she has to take care of her son is like a known a known part of the movie yeah yeah so uh, there there's a point in the film where something happens to robin wright and doctors make a decision on her behalf mm-hmm. um so at that point, even though they don't put up a title card, they do say that this procedure takes X amount of time. So X amount of time has passed. So at the point where we see her doing the searching, the whole conceit is that we don't know what ha- has happened to her child in the time that she was undergoing that procedure. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to be super vague about it, even though I think if I directly said it, it's still like nobody would know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> um, so so her, the the idea is that he may no longer be pre not crossed over. And if he's crossed over, it's almost impossible to figure out which person he is, because mm-hmm. 
having been in the animated world so long, like nobody is who they were before. Like it, it's but, sort but of, even it, even this animated world, how does locomotion work? Like because I think there's supposed to be a uh, a one to one correlation between people in the real world and people in the animated world. And your vicinity to them is mimicked by your vicinity in the real world. But then in the animated world, people fly and people transport to different places. Like, I don't know. I I just didn't, I I couldn't follow what the reality was supposed to be of the quest. And and I'm totally fine with envisioning, like, somebody walking down a hallway, flapping their arms, and them seeing them soaring through the sky. (laughs) <laughs> which is kind of the only way it could work, right? You still with me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> it's the only way it could work. <laughs> you got really quiet. I didn't know. Sorry. I you. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's not there. That that's why it works in what dreams may come because, like, literally, it's the afterlife. Like, there, mm-hmm. there. It, it's not supposed to be one to one with a physical space on actual Earth. Um, and in this film, they, yeah, they don't do it. Like there's no world building in this. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, there, there is no world building like, you don't or know. they, they build like, like you said, um, this is all a logical conclusion of sorts of the world that they built at the beginning. Yeah. But rather than just being like hinted at towards the end, like this is the movie is this logical conclusion that they haven't built yeah. up. And, and what's weird, too, is, like, you know, I just referenced the fact that, you know, John John Hamm was there because he's the only one that can identify her because there's multiple copies of her. But the problem is there's the big scene in the center of the film where uh, she is screaming, yes, I'll sign. And the thing she's signing is the new contract that would allow anybody to be Robin Wright instead of just a digital film actor be Robin Wright. Mm-hmm. So it's weird to me that, like... She's signing the thing that already existed, but like it didn't exist yet, or maybe they were doing it without her permission, so they just wanted her to sign, and then it was confusing. And then mm-hmm. she, like everybody, is taking essentially this toxin that allows them to see in cartoons, but the movies the film industry produces are still live action, yeah. but people in the cartoon world watch them. But then Robin Wright, uh, like when she's screaming, I'll sign, and you're doing this to me, it implies that they are giving her a different version of the poison that's possibly stronger to influence what she's seeing to, like, force her into signing this contract. Um, yeah, so it's it's very strange. There's just, like, a lot of stuff that is happening that muddies up the, the narrative yeah. to a point it, where it's hard. And it's disappointing because I I feel like there are, even in this animated realm, like this strange turn that the film takes yeah i thought there was a there was a lot of potential there like for one visually some of the things were very cool it was like a like a miyazaki movie or something like a like you could see this kind of fantasy world taking place that was um that was very impressionistic and sketches and this sense that anything could happen and you could travel anywhere um and there's a premise in particular that is looped around to at the end of the movie about the parallels between her son and the situation that the world is in now. Yeah. Um, and I think that the notion of how she would find him and what does it mean to find someone and trying to trying to perceive the world in that way, like I thought there was so much 
so much that could have been done with this if it had been like chiseled together into a uh, into a narrative that made sense. <laughs> like yeah, it, instead of it felt like there were just visuals or vague ideas like like the naturalists and the this and the that that are like touched upon with a like 10 second snapshot but not actually trying to make it mean anything like 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 the the director was full of ideas and didn't actually want to do the work of braiding them into like a story that made sense yeah because i think I think if this film had taken its left turn and, you know, changed premises the way it did, but maybe built into it more, like gradually showed the loss of identity leading to the loss of reality, yeah. um, it could have been very powerful and still still been almost as weird as it was. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just like weird for reasons where you feel like he earned it somehow. Yeah, like m- maybe he's trying to steer out of i don't know like it feels like there's so many other films that we've already mentioned like what dreams may come you know um scanner darkly you could even argue like vanilla sky or there's an like i needed scenes of of uh of like robin wright yelling tech support over and over and over and like trying to convince people she's real and stuff like that like there's there's something missing that that keyed us into because like after the 20-year jump, when she decides to, like, you know, when she pulls up to that little booth and the guy was like, you know, this is an animation-only zone and you'll, you know, never see me again until you leave or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's not clear, like, theoretically, at that point in her life, 20 years later, uh, when, you know, when when uh, Miramount decided to do this process, I'm assuming they set her up with enough money that, like, if the whole point is you can never act again then you would expect that it would be enough money for her to sustain her life for the rest of time. Why she decided to drive into the animated zone to meet with them on their turf to discuss an, a future contract doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't... I didn't understand that at all. Honestly, like, the film was called The Congress, and I think it's because it's based off of a book very vaguely yeah yeah i i really didn't sense the importance of or even the physical meaning of the congress in in this movie i did not either (laughs) except that it happened to be a turning point i i didn't even i didn't even know at a high level like there's a rebellion that takes place and did they were they successful did they change anything i i don't i don't know like i couldn't even tell what what had happened well that's that's the funny thing too is because the the like okay so let's say there is a rebellion that well there was a rebellion so (laughs) let me me figure out how to phrase this um so in like take the film equilibrium right Mm -hmm. so it's another film in which people take a drug that mutes our experiences of the real world and we've got rid of all war and danger because basically people can't feel emotion um Mm -hmm. People who don't take that drug are called sense offenders because they actually have all their emotional sense still left in them and they see beauty in objects and all that all that crap. Mm-hmm. Well, the rebels in that story are people who live in the physical world but don't take the drug and behind the scenes are orchestrating attacks to lead this rebellion. 
in this film, it seems like, I mean, part of it is that we're seeing it through the eyes of Robin Wright, who is currently on this chemical at the time, but also, like, it's not clear if John Hamm supports the rebellion or not, because he seems to know what's happening, but not want to get involved, so maybe he's part of it, but it, but it's it seems like the people in the rebellion are taking the drug themselves, too, because they're making their attacks in the animated realm, because what's the point of, like, you know, setting off a bomb, like, once we see what the real world looks like in this animated zone, it's not that great, so mm-hmm. what's the point of destroying the fakeness, like, you want to hurt the corporation, not the people who are who are already under the influence of that corporation. Like, yeah. you want to take out the company without disrupting the general population. And mm-hmm. it seems like they're just, like, it's not like a rebellion to overthrow this nasty corporation. It's just straight terrorism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely how it, how it feels. <laughs> so, I, I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to process that in my head. Yeah, I I will say there were a few, there were a few things in the film that I did like definitely enjoy. Um, like one thing I thought was cool. I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but so when she enters Toon World for the first time, there's this guy that says, "You will need, you will need to see me before you can leave." Yeah. This, and when she is in Toon World and she's finally leaving way later and she's walking through a hall of people, you see a cartoon version of this person who is like the last one she looks at before he was like, everything he was like the changes. bartender, right? Yeah, yeah, he's the bartender. The- yeah, so, so that didn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's one of those things where like, see, we paid it off and it's like, yeah, yeah, but I don't... <sighs> yeah, so I... I won't say this film had any payoffs in the sense of how did they work the narrative to do that. Yeah. The best you're going to get is like impressionistic. Hey, we remembered this. <laughs> yeah. It's it's basically like the Oracle saying like, you know, like, would would you have dropped the, would have you have broken the vase if I didn't say anything? Like, it's, it's basically <laughs> like, oh, before you leave, you'll see me. And she's like, whatever. And then she's like, oh, I saw you. Poof, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I did, I did like the first fake film you watch, where there's this melodrama because someone voted for Bush. <laughs> Dude, so bad. I thought that was hilarious. No, I didn't sleep with her. Then what, who did you sleep with? Didn't sleep with anyone. <laughs> I voted for Bush. What? Four times. <laughs> he's a four. Yeah, he's a both Bushes. Four times. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a weird movie to me. It's weird how it managed to like start with such high expectations and then go so left field. Yeah. And nor- normally I'm not uh I'm not opposed to going left field. <laughs> like I think it can be very cool when a film decides to be more impressionistic and more like a uh, go through snapshots and kind of vin- vignettes of uh of ideas following the premise but that this just didn't hold it together to me it's like it's like he had this idea and it was packed in this little package and then he decided to just like let it explode <laughs> and <Yeah>. like <laughs> let all the little particles that are scenes just kind of like fly around and mix with each other it was like um, he, he he hired a couple different animators to work on the film but due to an error it accepted the job application of every single animator who applied 
And then he was like, well, I got like 500 people here to draw these scenes. Might as well just go, go for just it. Just go nuts. Yeah. You want a sex scene in front of a burning helicopter? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Does it matter if that was motivated? No. No, it doesn't matter. Oh, that was very strange. <laughs> I, I LOL'd a bit at that, at that moment. I, I couldn't because I was like, what is happening? That, that was when my, my girlfriend was walking back and she's like, oh, what did I miss? What? <laughs> okay. You're like, no, I accept that. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> it is John Hamm. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I was I Robin Wright, I'd sleep with him. I would do I would do Juan Hamon. <laughs> okay. So we we we've had some of this episode. Yeah, let's uh let's wrap it up. Alright, so let's go ahead and get to our verdicts. Um <laughs> Steven. If you're going to give this a must-see, a recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass the caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give the Congress? I'm, I've had so much trouble trying to figure out what I'm going to give it. Um, <laughs> I feel like on the strength of the ideas alone and the things that it makes you think, even if it's just because you took the potion that is this movie and then experienced what you wanted to have seen, um, <laughs> I've... I think I've got to I've got to give it a wait for rental. Like I I can I can be negative in the sense that it it tried to do so much that it wound up not really making sense. But I also think it was a much more interesting use of two hours than many other things I could have watched. Um, with that said, like if you watch the trailer and are expecting a like a sci-fi adventure with any sort of of narrative or payoff, then you are not going to be too happy with it. I, I, if you if you just want to feel vague feelings with very nicely drawn things then i think you'll you'll have an enjoyable couple hours so so two things based on what you just said uh one is that uh the film's attempted world building is not even strong enough for your joke to technically work about you having taken the drug and saw the movie you wanted to see because it's heavily implied in the film that the drug when mixed one way gives you the choice of seeing what you want to see mixed another way forces you to see things that the person who gave you the drug wanted to see the yes. two instances of that is you know when she's you know saying you did this to me and i'll sign blah 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 and also at the end when you know she gets the other drug from uh, uh paul giamatti it um yeah that that seems like a very tailored drug to her at least according to the unless that's like yeah well yeah maybe yeah we that's something we can unpack separately <laughs> yeah <man. laughs> um, but the other thing the other joke i was going to or the other thing i was going to reference what you said is um uh, when you referenced if you just want to see a sci-fi or something or other um the funniest part of this movie is when robin wright is drafting her first contract she's like absolutely no sci-fi movies <laughs> so it's funny because this movie is clearly sci-fi but she like her character is like anti doing sci-fi movies. Mm -hmm. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one. No, no, no. I, I actually that was a pretty big laugh for me. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, anyways, my verdict. Um, like if you can, like if you can, you know, in I don't know, in a few months, a day when the first twenty minutes of this movie is on YouTube, uh, go watch the beginning of this film, like. After after it like so this movie starts off as a must see just for the themes, 
Um, but as soon as it jumps forward 20 years, just it's must avoid. <laughs> like the the premise for the film is the most interesting part. Every, like once the premise sets in motion the actual events of the film, it's like Checkout City where uh, the, the animating it can't make it make any more sense than it already doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think overall, like I I wouldn't tell anybody to see this movie <laughs> so like if I, if I was scrolling through my itunes list and then a buddy was sitting on the couch with me and goes like oh dude the congress is that any good i'd be like don't watch it <laughs> mm-hmm. so, I'm, so i'm gonna give it a must avoid okay i uh i can respect that i i did not feel upset at the end of the movie um I, I felt like I was interested enough once once I let go of it making sense. <laughs> <laughs> once you freed I, your mind. Yeah, w- once I let go of it making sense, then I was still... I, I was interested enough in it. But yeah, I definitely... If you have a choice of seeing an animated Israeli film, you should see Waltz with Bashir instead of this movie. <laughs> I almost, when, when you messaged me and said that you had just watched that in prep for watching the other two movies we we're going to review, I was like, oh, maybe I'll catch it too. And then I just didn't. <laughs> it was right now. It might be in like my top 20 movies I've ever seen. <laughs> like it's pretty, it, it it was very impacting and we'll see if that lasts or not, but. All right. Well, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll watch it and then we can have a, an off air discussion about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that being said, why don't we go ahead and finish this episode out? So, Stephen, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? If people want to find me, they can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to figure out when these episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. You can also, you know, send us feedback through our contact form on the website. Do that. Um, yeah, so that is the episode. So thank you for joining me, Stephen. Yeah, thanks for having me. I just, if I just, this is even real or if this is just <laughs> my, uh, my imagination of what the world is. Oh, well, did I tell you I had sex with a Greek god the other day? <laughs> that was an interesting scene, too. <laughs> that was so weird. <laughs> and then I became Zeus. And then ate a lightning bolt. <laughs> and then I became John Hamm. Uh, well, I, I, I imagine that that's how John Hamm was formed. Yeah, that's probably just what he does every morning. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's literally just modern-day Hercules. I think he was just improvising. They just said, hey, John, tell us what you did yesterday. We, we want to... Uh, we, yeah, we want to get it on camera it's actually the, the filmmaker met john ham in a bar and the, like half of this came from the conversation they had he's like do you mind if i just record this <laughs> and then he wrote this whole movie based on that conversation <laughs> john ham was of course drunk and stoned at the same time yeah of course anyways um yeah we will catch you guys listening in our review of Ida coming up next later see ya